0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This program is brought to you by Joule, sous vide by Chef Steps. Jewel takes the guesswork out of cooking.
2: Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network.
3: Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you are listening to heritageradionetwork.org. Today, my guests are the authors and collaborators of a new cookbook called The Bread and Salt Between Us. The main author is Mayada Anjari. Uh, She's on the line with me. Mayada, hello. Am I saying your name correctly?
4: Hello.
3: How are you? I'm doing well. How are you?
4: I'm good. So, Thank just you.
3: Great. Before I introduce the rest of our guests, I'm just going to explain your bio because I think it's important um, to give a little background about you before we talk about the book. So um, Mayada okay. is from Syria. In 2016, she came to the United States. She was in Jordan at the time. Uh, she came over with her husband and her four children under the refugee admissions program of the U.S. government. And now that she's here, she's helping her family build a new life by cooking for hundreds of people who have attended her sold-out dinners with Mayata and friends in New York City. Now her personal recipe collection of easy-to-approach dishes and the story of her journey and the culinary traditions wow, um, that have sustained her are beautifully chronicled in a new publication from Lake Isle Press. The book is... The Bread and Salt Between Us. It's been named one of the best cookbooks coming out this fall. It is now out by Food and Wine. And each person involved with the preparation and publication of the book volunteered their time and talents so that all proceeds will benefit Mayata's family and other refugees and asylum seekers, which is amazing. So Mayata's on the line. The book was written co-written with uh, Mayada with Jennifer Sit, who's not here with us, but we do have Dalia El Nuihi. Um, she's translating for Mayada, if need be. We've got her like on backup <laughs> on the sidelines. And we also have Mira Avnine who did the food styling. And we have Liz Kleiman who did the photography here in studio. So welcome, everybody. I'm so happy you're
5: all here. Hi, thanks, thanks. for having us. Yes.
3: Um, so Mayada, thanks again for joining us on the line. Uh, I would, I would like to hear before we start the title, the bread, and salt between us is. It's just a really powerful as far as its imagery goes. Can you explain to me where the title came from?
4: Uh, okay, um, sorry, uh, I need uh, anybody to translate. Sure, me? that's what I sure. is here yeah. for.
6: Anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah, please. Okay. السؤال ايوه ماما السؤال ال, ال... الكتاب اسمه اللي الخبز والعيش بالظبط جاي منين شو بيعني شو شو بيعني وانت اخترتيه ليه
4: اه انا اخترت وهو بيعني انه Mm-hmm.
6: so it's oh. basically symbolic of friendship of between uh, the Syrian families and the american and the American population
3: okay yeah. um so I think Mir or Liz or mayada. Uh, anyone can can speak to this question. How did the idea for the book come about, and what was what was the inspiration to create a cookbook?
5: I'll I'll take that. Okay, Mira? because I think I was one of the the um, in the domino effect of reaching out to contacts. I was kind of one of the last ones, but um, essentially, Ada had been cooking at Rutgers Presbyterian, who um, sponsored their their. Um, Transition here, um, and they had tapped her to cook at the at the church as a as a way for her to make some money for her family um, using the skills that she had, and um, and then I think at some point at the church it was thought about um, making a cookbook as a way to kind of uh, aggregate her ability to make some more income from her skills. So I think someone at the church uh, reached out to the graphic designer, Allegra, and Allegra knew Liz um, from, an, from further, uh, from days at Third Ward, yes. <laughs> and then Liz, um, because most people don't know how cookbooks get made, turned around and said to Rutgers, yes, I'd love to do it, who's making the food? Um, and when they looked at her blankly, because most people, again, don't know how cookbooks actually get made, um, she turned around and said, I've got someone. So and then she tapped me. So that was kind of the, the um, origin story of how the book came to be. But I think it was really interesting because the
7: original idea was just sort of making a collection of the recipes. And the more people that came into it, it became a much more like serious project. It's not like a... You know, like a Kinko's bound pamphlet of like some photos that we shot on the fly. I think we shot it over six or seven days, and there was, uh, I don't know, the team was really amazing, and it was it was an awesome experience to.
3: It really is a dream team. I mean, yeah. this is this is a real cookbook that's garnered you know national media attention and is full of like beautiful recipes and photography. So I guess I would ask, I mean, this might be like an obvious question, but I still kind of want to hear it from both of you. Like, What was so compelling and special about this project that you agreed to do it, to work on it mm. pro bono? Because that's pretty unusual.
7: It was the easiest yes ever. I don't, I don't even think I spent 15 minutes mulling it over. Uh, it was happening at a time, I guess this started probably a year and a half ago. Um, and it was happening at a time of uh, a lot of things were going on in this country that I was feeling pretty uncomfortable with and pretty helpless. And it's like, cool, you can give $100 to like the Red Cross and it goes off and you think you're helping somebody somehow, but it wasn't tangible.
5: Hmm. Uh,
7: and when I got this email uh, from Dave Momin, who's the amazing uh, director of director of events at Rutgers Presbyterian um, yeah, I, I didn't have to think twice about it. I was like, "This is a, a real person and a real woman who I, I can relate to. She has a family. She has a husband, and she's in Jersey. Like, she's here. She's 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 part of our community now. Like, she's a, a tangible person that we could help." And
3: that's uh, something you could do.
7: Yeah, it was something I could do, yeah. and and there was also uh, a lot of like freedom creatively. Um, I don't think Miata was familiar
3: with cookbooks in general, and. Right, she wasn't like I'm going to move to America and be a cookbook author. <laughs>
5: no. No. I think it was it was her first time when she came to the US that she actually saw a cookbook because cook, uh, cooking Is that yeah. right, Mayada?
3: I don't know if you if you caught the question, maybe Dalia can. If it was the first on Ma- time Maeda. you'd heard of a cookbook.
6: Yeah. Yeah. اول مره يا كتاب صح؟ كان ولا كان
4: اكيد اه
6: yeah, she said it was the first time when we sat together and mm. we were we flipped through a cookbook in her house when she was first arrived. So <laughs> oh,
7: I love it so much.
4: Yeah.
7: <laughs> huh. So yeah, there was a lot of creative um, sort of leniency and like I've worked with Mira on a lot of projects before, and it was very much um, an art-directed, very not stiff, but you know, right. there was an you outcome. That, yeah, there was an outcome that we needed to hit, and with this book. Uh, everyone was just like, let's make something as beautiful as we can. And uh, Mira has a background in Israel and so she had a lot of, like, sort of idea about the uh, culturally appropriate props and fabrics and, I don't know. I was trying to pull from, like, all over the world and she was like, good God, no, put that back. (laughs) Like, you would never plate vermicelli on a dish like this. And so, you know, I learned a lot as well. So it was... Yeah, it was an amazing uh, amazing way to collaborate with a, a really awesome team and and getting to have a little bit of a difference in someone's life was yeah. important.
5: Yeah. It was it was an unusual way to make a cookbook. I mean, generally you don't sit with the f- photographer, with the graphic designer, with the authors, with the publisher and then Dave and a uh, project manager to to kind of talk at every step, but we we truly did. We uh naming it, we sat in my living room and we wrote down a bunch of different ideas and came up with some really kind of uh you know titles that started to sound like under the Tuscan sun that didn't feel quite right and a little too like you know uh bodice ripper <laughs> um, and then we finally you know arrived at at this title um but it was it was an interesting and because it, we didn't follow kind of like this cookie cutter way of making a cookbook. Um, there, you know, it was smoother in some ways and bumpier in some ways. I was gonna
3: say maybe it took some of the pressure off because you didn't do it traditionally, feeling like you had to hit certain deadlines that you were working with. I don't know.
5: No, I mean, I, I think it did. It did take some of the pressure off, but it also creates. There's like a lot more transparency. That, for instance, the photographer at some point would probably just hand over images after getting the brief and then would kind of be hands off. But we were able to look through the proof and. Uh, you know, call out thing. Liz. I mean, we sat right <laughs> right outside Rutgers Presbyterian in the in the daylight and kind of went through this proof. And Liz was able to flag things that you know she she loved, didn't love, and and make those corrections that ordinarily wouldn't wouldn't happen in a normal cookbook process.
3: Yeah.
7: So, but then I think there was also something where it, it was like a too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> forgive my pun, but uh, you know. Also, like the food stylist and the photographer would never normally have a say in the title of the book. Right. That would be up to Mayata and Jen and and then probably more ultimately the publisher. But yeah. it was, yeah, it was a dozen of us sitting around being like, <sighs>
3: ah. <laughs> um, Mayata, is it okay if yeah. I ask you some questions about your background and, and your, uh, just, you know, your your journey and the way you came to the United States ultimately? Okay. Um, so I know that you and your husband and your family, you left Syria in 2013 because of the civil war happening in Syria. And you rocked across the border to Jordan, um, which is sort of an unfathomable thing to imagine and picture. Just, you know, taking that very brave leap of faith. What what made you take such a huge risk? And then what was sort of what were you thinking about as far as like why you would go to Jordan and what was what were you hoping um, would happen once you crossed the border?
6: So, I mm. mm. so, uh, so mm. so, so ask you, okay, so, if I ask you, so, I ask ask you, you, can I'm sorry. What was the
3: second? Last I guess well, what were you imagining would would happen once you got to Jordan? Well, إيه نحن كنتي متوقّع ما توصلي
6: أما توصلي الأردن يعني.
3: What did you hope would happen? Yeah, yeah.
6: And you can can. كنتي متوقّع إنه يحسن لما توصلي الأردن.
4: أنا أولاً مشان الأمان في سوريا ما في أمان شيء يعني الوقت
6: كان كنا So the security was a very big issue, and um, there wasn't in her. In her neighborhood, there wasn't any closed schools, so they had to send the kids off to schools that were far away, and the security situation was extremely bad, so that's one of the reasons why they decided to make the move to Jordan.
7: Okay.
4: So it (laughs)
6: was security. Right, and um, her husband couldn't find a proper job. There was no jobs available
3: at the time, so they they did it out of livelihood and out of security. Okay, um, and then what was what was the reality like once you and your family arrived in Jordan?
6: When Jordan, to hotel. We The
4: next day, I was
6: So they came and they um, processed them into a refugee camp in Jordan. And then I believe that they, Maeda, you said a cousin, right? Um, Ibn Ibnamik. Ibn Oh, and her cousin, um, basically who lived in Jordan, came and picked them up and and he took them to live with them. So they didn't stay too long in the refugee camp before family members came and
3: took them out. Mm -hmm. And then how did you end up coming to the United States?
4: جيتي
6: أمريكا إزاي يا so the United Nations had um, basically they processed paperwork and then the United Nations contacted them and said would you like to go to the United States.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: So, and then that started the whole
3: process of them going through the, the refugee process. Was it, was, it, was it an immediate yes? I mean, did you ever question whether or not you wanted to do that? Or did you just decide, you know, you knew right away that you wanted to, to make that transition? No. I'm you, that
6: America for any or so she said no of course we wanted to come it was a dream for them once they found out that you know it was america they said absolutely we would there's nothing better we could hope for.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so rutgers presbyterian church is the organization that sponsored your resettlement and uh, i read that when you Arrived in the United States, they provided um, what's called a culturally appropriate meal, which is like an interesting policy that's mandated by the State Department, um, which is something that I had never heard of before. And I think that's that's one policy that I like that we have. (laughs) Um, So what was it like to arrive in the United States and then be greeted with a meal that was familiar to you? And it's also so interesting to read that the woman who made you the meal, who was a member of the church, had never cooked Syrian food before. So what did that feel like, to come here and then taste something that felt like home?
6: So, Maida, the question is, وصلتي you came to New Jersey and came to you and found a food for you, what was your experience? Especially when you knew that أصلاً food آه not so she said it was really amazing to see how much attention they've paid to every detail. It wasn't just necessarily the food, it was everything. I mean, every single detail was provided for, so they were thrilled. She said it made all the difference. Um,
3: so I know you cooked a lot when you lived in Syria and I don't know, maybe to a certain extent when you were in Jordan with your family. Um, how, how did you start cooking these dinners uh, that have happened with the church organization that you're involved with? Like, how were you able to sort of reclaim your role as someone who is, is, a, is a cook, is a, you know, not necessarily a chef, but someone who cooks a lot and provides for people?
6: So, um, سو uh, انت كنت بتطبخي كثير وانت في سوريا فما هنا ولقيتي فرصه ان انت تطبخي um, ايه حصل بحيث ان الفرصة دي تيجي يعني ان انتي تتبخي في في الكنيسه يعني كيف ان انت بطبعك ان انت يعني يعني وحسيتي ان كانت so she said uh, basically the cooking was something that she's used to. So whether it was a big family or the big church, <laughs> a big church big church gathering, she was used to it, and she just rolled right in. That's very yeah. comfortable. <laughs> All
3: right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, just hear from our sponsors. Maybe let don't know just to hang on for a moment while we hear a commercial, and then we'll be right back. in okay? okay.
1: This program is brought to you by Jewel Vide. My name is Katie Mosman Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Jewel user. I use Jewel to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual doneness guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions, making it easy to cook for a crowd. And it's hands-free, so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip: Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Joule makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food, every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash Joule and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get fifteen dollars off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J O U L E code H R N and fall asleep just to wake up. Okay, thanks.
3: Hey, you're listening to Food Without Borders on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and I'm in studio with the team that collaborated to make the beautiful new cookbook, The Bread and Salt Between Us, which is authored by Mayada Anjari, And I have Dalia El-Nuihi here helping to translate and Mira Evnine and Liz Klayman, who did food styling and photography. Um, so welcome back, everyone, and thanks for sticking with us. And we have Mayada on the line still. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, Mayada, when you started yeah. to work on the cookbook, how did you decide what recipes you would include? I
6: said in English, I so she, she chose foods that she cooks often at the house.
3: And then was there, I mean, maybe Mira and Liz can talk about this a little since you were all so collaborative. Like, was there a process of elimination that happened? Were there recipes that hit the, the cutting board? The cutting floor, I should say, not bored. <laughs> <laughs> um, not,
5: not a, not in our experience. I think that um, when we received the manuscript, it was it was already set. I think um, I think Maeda really dictated what what she cooks at home. Um, mm-hmm. She's the recipes are very much how she cooks for her family specifically. Mm-hmm. She has three boys and a young daughter, Jana, um, and so she's very aware, (laughs) like most mothers, of what the kids like. So she included things that she really loves, like for herself, the chabza recipe, which is a chicken and rice recipe, is, is very much her favorite thing. And then everything else in there is, I think, things that she cooks at home regularly yeah I can probably speak to that a little bit more yeah. because
6: um, I was there with Jen so every Saturday we'd get together for a few months and,
3: um, and this is Dahlia who translated yes mm-hmm.
6: <laughs> so I was there to help uh, translate for Maeda Great. and Jen so um, yeah so Jen would come we'd come in the, during the in the morning usually and we'd have a cup of coffee and or a cup of tea whatever you want and we talk a little bit about her you know, to tell stories about her in Syria. That's how we compiled a lot of the, or that's how Jen compiled a lot of the stories on her background. And and from that kind of arose, well, what are we going to cook today? So <clears throat> Mayed would pick about four or five recipes. She goes, I picked this recipe because of this, 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 and that. And she'd give reasons, and we'd all follow. We'd go to sea town. And get the ingredients and then come back, and then we start cooking for hours. And then a big feast at the very end. <laughs> we'd all sit around the table with uh, Mayada and her family, and we'd have a f- tasting test. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> sounds fun. It was great. <laughs> Mayada, which are the recipes that feel the most special, that have the most uh, memories for you that are in the book?
4: So, Mayada, al and- <laughs>
6: Uh, any ذكريات عندك.
4: jaj, Okay, so
6: capsa with the chicken and uh, the chicken and potatoes or liba. Sp- right yeah, and fried kib as well and she said usually those are the meals that she would cook um whenever the family would get together in syria so it's like um she thinks occasion. of her family correct right yeah
3: and then what what recipes mayada would you suggest if someone has the book but they've never cooked syrian food where where should they start
6: سوميدا لو الواحد عنده كتاب وعمر وما طبخ أكل سوريا بدك كده تقولي لهم يبتدو بأنهي وصفة ها له ينقل
4: الوصفات الخسيف الأول يعني عشان
6: زي يعني أسهل له أسهل تبزيء إيه مثلاً
4: مثلاً الكفتة يعني سهل كثير <laughs> mm-hmm. So
6: so um, Mayada suggests starting off with the easier recipes. And uh, when I asked her which one she thinks is the easiest, she said it's the kofta in the oven, which is pretty simple. It's like a beef and just put a lot of spices in and you pop them in the oven. and you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's really, really delicious, actually. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, so Jose Andres wrote the foreword of the cookbook, and in it, in the foreword he writes that food is the ultimate bridge. And Mayada, I was wondering if you could say if that's been true for you, and it and it resonates with your experience in coming to America and introducing people uh, to your family and to to your heritage through your food. Sorry, I know you'll have to simplify yeah. that. <laughs> <line>. <laughs> so Mayada, the question
6: um, in the the what's his name again
3: jose andres jose the andres chef. The chef
6: yep yeah. Yeah. So, um كان كتابك عن الاكل زي ما يكون تواصل يعني بيساعد التواصل ما بين الناس فده كان برده خبرتك بعد بعد ما عملتي الكتاب يعني انت حاسه ان في فعلا تواصل بينك وبين الناس اللي انت بتتعاملي معاهم وتعارفك على يعني بيهم وباهلك وهم بيكي وباهلك ما تيجي فهمتي على كده شو
4: بشو
6: القصة في الموضوع يعني؟ السؤال إن هل أنت حسيتي إن الكتاب يعني يساعدك في التواصل مع التواصل. الناس؟ آه، آه، أكيد
4: أكيد عمل تواصل مطلوب يعني في كذا شخص يعني أنا ما بعرفه بس ما بعرف كيف أخذ الرقم يعمل يبعثوا لي مثلاً إنه جربوا أكلة الكبى وأخر شيء ضغطت معه.
6: So she said absolutely it would help connect a lot with um, you know, the people who have read the book and even with among her friends that she meets at the church and she goes, I've actually had a lot of you know, several people write in and tell me that they tried these recipes and that it was really, really good. She so she was thrilled about that.
7: Yeah.
3: Um, Liz, Mira, Daya, I'd love to hear you kind of answer the same question, like how working on this project has made you feel more connected to to mayata or just to learning you know about a new kind of food different kinds of people
5: you want to go first please
3: <laughs> <laughs> i mean you wrote you talked yeah. a little bit about how this just felt like this was something meaningful you could do so maybe sort of elaborate on that
7: yeah i mean i think it, it uh i always think of the camera as like this passport or this like this like little magical uh, pass that gets me into all of these situations that I could have never imagined. and um this was definitely one of the most like deeply heartfelt impactful like projects that I have ever worked on. and yeah, it's it's all it's all through the lens of like sharing meals with each other. and I first met Mayata. we were at one of the Rutgers church dinners, and I don't know, there's just something very magical about watching her command a kitchen and she's so out of her element and at the same time so very comfortable and it's like Jen uh, in one of the the recipe intros talks about how dicing and chopping and sauteing and frying it's like it's like this common language and it's like through the action that we all share the same thing all over the world and uh, yeah it was really powerful
5: <laughs> yeah i I had I guess everyone has their. Uh, their magic wand for Liz it's the camera and she's very disarming with it and she's petite but she she (laughs) smiles and she like always gets a very um honest reaction from people and for me it's cooking and talking to people about food and um you know everybody eats so there's uh when I'm at a loss for connecting with someone, if I don't know, I can, I can ask them, you know, what did they eat that morning or what have they cooked recently and, and, and enter that way. So, um, for me, uh, just recently, actually just today, um, out in the New York times is an article about Mayada and her first Thanksgiving and how Thanksgiving is for everybody. And I was lucky enough to, to go and cook with her, um, together while the photographer was there um, and just kind of assist um, and gu- guide her through making pie, which is ironic because I didn't I didn't grow up in an American household, and I've taught myself how to make pie. So I got to teach Mayada how to make pie, um, and uh, it was it was in those several hours together that we had some conversations that we wouldn't have normally had the opportunity to have because she's a busy mom. She has four kids. You know she's. She's got our hands full, um, but it was a chance to um, play with her daughter while we were cooking and and chat, and, you know, again, it's very disarming, and very casual conversations can start, so questions about my age came up, and questions about the photographer's age came up, and, like, it just feels all of a sudden like you've known each other for a while when you're talking about something to cook, and if you can pick up on something, Flavors or whatever it is that uh, that our heart, you know, attach the heartstrings. You very quickly can 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 connect, um, even if language is a slight barrier. But um, so that was really special for me to have that time with her.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. This is
6: Anything else you want to chime in? Well, for me, um, I also volunteered as a a translator, but actually I volunteered from the very beginning. So when Maeda first came to the United States, I wasn't there at the airport, but I followed up and I I helped them settle in in their new home and, you know, I did try to translate that. So it's really, I think the best part is just seeing the entire journey, like from, from so up close. And um, I'm dumbfounded, you know, and they, when they and Dave said, You you wanna help out with the cookbook I said, Of course <laughs> I wouldn't miss it for the world but yeah, so my aunt is more than just, you know, the project. She's actually just it was amazing just to embrace her when they came in, her and her family and try to help as much as we can from the very beginning. And it's just amazing to see that this is the end product after just a very short period of time that she's already has you know, with the work of everybody who's collaborating. I mean, it really is a work of love. I mean, I really do feel it, and it's blessed that way. There's a blessing in that book. Yeah.
5: And, and the book really wouldn't have happened yeah. without Dahlia's help. I no. mean, <laughs> <laughs> we needed that translation, that bridge, and, and my um, ad is. English has grown leaps and bounds. It's incredible um, to have been able to have conversations with you. But thank you. Thank
6: you. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity.
3: Well, you referenced the New York Times piece, which is out uh, today, um, which is such a beautifully written piece by Julia Moskin about immigrants and embracing the, you know, the American Thanksgiving and adopting new traditions. So, Mayada, I wanted to ask, um, I know you had a practice run for the article, but are you are you going to be cooking for Thanksgiving next week? Uh,
4: yes, I will uh, cook uh, for Thanksgiving.
3: What are, what are you going to make? Uh,
4: turkey. <laughs> turkey. <laughs> yeah, uh, because my uh, children like, love it. What Your children
3: that? loved it. Your children loved it.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. Will you be making any of the American side dishes or more Syrian side dishes? If I'm
4: of Turkey, do you eat Syria or the Americas? Very or I'm going to eat Turkey. Turkey, I mean. <laughs> so Syrian kabsa. Syrian, yeah,
6: Syrian kabsa. It
3: sounds good. I'll be coming <laughs> over. <laughs> Can I come to your Thanksgiving?
4: Yeah.
6: <laughs> I wanted,
3: I want to try your food. <laughs> but I'll have to cook it from the book. Um, now that I have it. So <laughs> um, Mayada, thank you so much for speaking to us You're today. Welcome. And congratulations on your first cookbook.
5: Uh, you so Probably thank not you your me. last. <laughs>
3: um, and Liz and Mira and Dahlia, thank you so much for joining us in studio. And everyone who's listening, I wanted to also mention that the Heritage Radio Network Gala is coming up on December 3rd. It is a beautiful, it is. It was my one of my most favorite nights of the year last year. The first time we did it, um, it's just an amazing celebration. It's all different chefs, and you just walk around eating and drinking the entire night. Um, and you know what could be better than that? It's super festive, and you should go to heritageradionetwork.org and get tickets before they're sold out. Um, all the hosts will be there, and we will probably dress up. So. <laughs> You should come. Um, And there will be music and festivities and, like I said, delicious things to eat and drink. Um, So thanks, everyone, for listening. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify and Stitcher, as well as always finding our archived shows on heritageradionetwork.org. We'll see you back next week, Wednesday at 6 p.m.